everybody. Welcome back to episode 70 of Talk of Fame podcast with your host, Kylie Lantigny, and the silks that I have on host of the Greg Carino Show, the Air Force Reserve, Greg Carino. Thanks so much for coming on, Greg. Thanks for having me, Kylie. Of course. So you are the host of the Greg Carino Show. What made you want to start doing that and basically being in this industry? Well, I think it was for more personal therapy than anything. <laughs> I had a lot to say, and a podcast is a great way to do that. I also like to have more in-depth conversations. And I think arguing with people online and on Facebook, you know, typing one little sentence or two at a time just wasn't a great way to communicate. It wasn't a great way to get my ideas across. And so I got into uh, podcasting. It's also just been a great adventure to meet uh, really smart people. Um, you know, my show is, mo is about experts and people with unique experiences. So people can be experts in many different things. And so it's, it's nice. I get to learn from them. Um, I get to become smarter myself. I get to, like I said, meet some fantastic people. And at the same time, I can talk about things that I want to talk about. You know, it's hard to, I think when you're in a casual conversation at work or at school, you know, a lot of these conversations are very quick. You know, mm. something comes up that you want to talk about, say it's about, uh, oh, I don't know, it could be something about politics or it could be something about relationships and we only have a couple minutes and then people have to go. And so it's like, man, I want to sit and talk for a longer time. And so a podcast yeah. allows me to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like when, like, that's really the reason why I started this podcast is like, I actually want to have conversations like that's not like a couple of second conversation. I actually want to talk to people and learn more about them. Like that's how it actually a real conversation because like when I was a younger girl, I was very shy and like, I was always I had bad anxiety and depression going on. So I was like, it's so my anxiety didn't allow me to do a lot of things as a kid. So like it didn't, I didn't have the kind of like the best childhood in the world. But then like as a kid, I was like, people wouldn't really talk to me because like, I was like, very shy and everything. So I'd be like, oh, what do I say here? Like, mm -hmm. it's awkward. Like I didn't want to watch it in the conversation. I would sit there and I'm thinking to myself like, why am I missing out on these conversations? Like then, like I want to change that. I actually want to have a conversation and get to know this person. If I don't do that, then I'm really missing out. And that's so like, that's the reason why I really want to start this thing. He's like, I want to change my life and other people's life. But no matter if it's like politics, um, relationships, entertainment industry, sports, no matter what it is, like I'm like, as long as that, if they want to have a conversation, about some things that they're interested in, then that's that, that's really the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, it's it's impressive, I think, for somebody, especially in, in who's your age in high school, to be to be taking that leap. I mean, a lot of adults, you know, I'm in my 40s, uh, they are shy to to do that, and uh, so it's for you to do it at such a young age is a it's a great thing. So there's a lot of learning to be had. There's a lot of positives. And uh, I think you're right. I think it's just the best way to have a, a real conversation. So, exactly. So yeah. you are a lieutenant colonel with over 20 years in the Air Force. Is that right? Yeah, it's pronounced lieutenant colonel. It's okay. it's funny. It's it's one of those words. I don't I don't know why it's spelled the way it is, but it's uh, pronounced colonel. Yeah, like K E R N E L. It's it's oh, wow. it's funny. Yeah, a lot of people will say colonel because that's that's how it's spelled. But yeah, I'm a lieutenant colonel. Um, in the Air Force uh, Reserves right now. Um, I was active duty for about 10 years. And active duty just means that you're a full-time, you're, you're yeah. doing this full-time. There are some 
little nuances there, but mostly active duty means you're doing it as a full-time job. As a reservist, you're doing it more as a part-time job. Mm-hmm. And so I did about 10 years active duty. And then now I'm, I've been in the reserves for the last oh, 11 years or so. I had a break there in the middle. Um, but yeah, I've been in, in the Air Force pretty much my whole adult life. Oh, that's so, awesome. Like what kind yeah. of made you want to be in the Air Force? Like, is there something that made you want to start doing it? Yeah, definitely. I wanted to fly. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And so I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s when Star Wars first came out, which is interesting yeah. because Star Wars is such a big thing now. Yeah. But when I was a kid, it was brand new. And I saw my first Star Wars movie and I was like, I want to go to space and I want to be like Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and I took the steps to do that. I did pretty well in, in high school. And I, when I was applying for colleges, the Air Force Academy seemed like the best way to become a fighter pilot. And I went there, uh, did well enough to, to graduate and then go to pilot training and, um, and ended up flying the A-10 Warthog for about 13 years. And so I kind of f- got to fulfill that, that childhood dream. But yeah, the biggest reason was I wanted to fly upside down and blow things up. <laughs> as, exactly. as simple as that sounds, that was the reason, yeah. Yeah, that's how like my cousin is. He's my co- my cousin Chad serves in the Navy. Mm-hmm. He's been doing that for a couple of years, and his dad and mo- mother served in the military as well. And like his dad was in the military in the Navy, and like his dad, like my uncle, my uncle Doug was like always like he had always had like bad vision, so it's hard for him to fly. He always wanted to fly. And mm-hmm. so, like, due to his eyesight, he was forbidden to fly. And, like, he still served in the military, but he couldn't fly. And so, mm-hmm. my cousin, Chad, I don't know how long he's been doing it for, but I think before I was even born, he's been flying planes. Like, he's, I forget where he is now, but he's one of the top kind of things in the Navy. I don't know what it's called, but, like, I have to ask mm-hmm. him. But, like, he's one of the top things. And, like, he literally just flew over my airport a couple of weeks ago like he's really oh, okay. one of the best to kind of ever do it in the navy or in our family because my family comes from a lot of people in the military so it's kind of in our genes kind of yeah in the military but like how like did you ever kind of think that you would basically be, be in the air force or is it kind of something you could you like kind of thought about like as you got older oh about being in the air force itself yeah uh you know i I don't think I entered, I didn't enter the Air Force because I specifically wanted to be in the military. It was more, I wanted to be a pilot and the military was just the best way to do that. I was actually pretty hesitant about the military aspect of it. Um, When I was in high school, I, you know, I liked to be with my friends. I wanted to stay out late at night. I wanted to have fun and the military was very strict and you had to wear a uniform and you had to march and you had to do all these things that I really didn't want to do. So it wasn't, the military part that excited me. So I, I think I did have a little bit of a desire to do something greater than myself, like serve my country and, and, you know, help people around the world. I think that maybe was in the back of my mind a little bit, but it was more just the, the flying part. I'll admit it was more just the excitement of that. Mm-hmm. Now, as I went along, the military part became more embedded in me and I started to kind of enjoy it more. I think it was pretty foreign in the beginning. I thought even it was kind of nerdy in a way, you know, when I looked at kids who were in high school who were doing uh, junior ROTC or some of the military programs, I kind of thought they were dorks. And I, it, now I don't feel that way. Um, now I see people in uniform and of course, because I did it for so long, I identify more with them. Um, 
but, but yeah, initially the air force was not, it was more of a means to an end. It wasn't, yeah. um, something that I pursued, uh, by itself. It was definitely the flying part that I, I pursued. Exactly. So you've been, you, you now assist with command and neutral combat operations. Is that right? Yes. Um, so now in the reserves, my, I don't fly in the air force anymore. I fly for an airline. So I'm not a fighter pilot anymore, but my job in the Air Force Reserve is, uh, yeah, that's a lot of words. I, I assist with command and control in the Indo-Pacific region. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of words for saying that I help to coordinate airplanes in the Pacific Ocean area. I, yeah. I know that's still a lot of words, but primarily we focused on the, the Korean Peninsula area. So the, the conflict that's been in, going on in Korea for decades now mm -hmm. my unit helps to plan if there is a conflict in that area we help to plan how we're going to deal with that conflict specifically the air force part so we tell the airplanes where they're going to go what targets they're going to hit we coordinate the coming and going of the cargo airplanes so anything that happens around the korean area mm -hmm. my squadron is sort of in charge of, of planning that oh, if, it, wow. if it if it comes down to that so it's it's preparation um, you know, hopefully we never will have to go to a war, but if they do then, or if we do, then my, my unit would help to plan that. Oh, wow. Like, did you guys ever mm -hmm. have to kind of prepare for those type of stuff or you guys haven't like, kind of, haven't got that far yet? Uh, well, we haven't gotten that far yet in, in Korea. Now we have airplanes that are based there now. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're all over the area and everybody has plans that if things go uh, badly, they know basically what to do. Um, we've never really gotten to the point where it's been a shooting war. I mean, there have been yeah. little things that have happened, you know, people have been shot and there've been little skirmishes in small areas throughout the decades, but nothing that's risen to the level of a major war that we had, you know, in the Korean area in the early 1950s. But a lot of the pilots, um, well, and just general military people, they have done other things in other parts of the world. So like the Middle East, you know, like after 9-11, we had a lot of people go into the Middle East for, a, you know, to, in conflicts out there. A lot of us have experience doing that. Yeah. And so we know how it generally works. And so if it does happen in Korea, then we're prepared. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So do you guys yeah. like just specifically work in Korea or is it you guys like kind of work like places around it or just specifically Korea? Uh, so we work all around the world. Uh, right now, my unit is in California. So we meet and do all of our training here in California. Um, but then we go to Korea once a year to do an exercise with the Koreans. So about two to three weeks of every year, we go out there and, and, um, and we kind of work with them on a base out there. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So do you have anyone that you look up to as like a podcast host or as a person in the Air Force? Oh, look up to as a podcast host. Let's start with that one. Um, I mean, the, a very famous one, obviously, is, is Joe Rogan. He's a, I like his long-form conversations. Not to say that I, I'm just like him in all ways, but I do like the, long, the longer conversations. So my podcast will run anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours that I talk to somebody. So I like the long-form, detailed conversations that you know, he's famous for. Um, I also like that we, that he talks to people that are, have, you know, interesting things to talk about. They could have a lot of tragedy in their past. So they talk about very serious issues as well as very fun issues. So kind of Joe Rogan goes all over the map on that. So I do like that format as a podcaster. Mm -hmm. 
Um, as far as people in the Air Force, who do I look up to in the Air Force? You know, I've got a handful of friends, really. I don't have any specific uh, famous person that I look up to that people would know. Um, but I do have a lot of friends that have just done very well, um, whether it's in as fighter pilots or as leaders, um, former commanders. But yeah, nobody in specific. It's um, yeah, that's a good question, though. I, you know, you're, you're getting me thinking. <laughs> so a <laughs> nice job. <laughs> Yeah, so like of all the guests you had on your show, what interview kind of meant the most to you or kind of stuck out to you the most? Oh, I would say the prisoner, or I'm sorry, not the, well, two. Oh, man. The one that stuck out the most would have been a Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he is in his 90s now. Um, his name is Sam Silberberg, and he was actually captured by Nazis in Poland. He's a, he's Jewish. And, um, so that one stuck out a lot. I went to his house, talked to him for about two to three hours. And it was just an honor just to talk to somebody who experienced such a horrific part of history directly. And he's still alive and lucid and can remember everything. Um, so that was a big one. I would say the second big one was a, a prisoner of war. He was a fellow a 10 pilot like me, uh, older than me, but he was uh, shot down in the first Gulf War in 1991 over Iraq. And so he was captured and spent 19 days as a prisoner of war. So I think just, I love talking to people who have experienced such harsh things and have dealt with it with, you know, strength and have come out of it. And, you know, they can, they're really just examples of, of courage uh, for all of us. So, yeah, I would say the Sam Silberberg, the Holocaust survivor, and then, um, and then Rob Sweet, the uh, A-10 pilot who was a, a prisoner of war. Oh, wow. That's absolutely insane. Like, oh yeah. my gosh. Like, because I have family that were actually in the Holocaust. Because I had... Really? Because I'm actually Jewish on my mom's side. So, like, I had some family oh, wow. that were in the Holocaust. And my, my nana, my mother's mother, was actually born at one of the Holocaust camps with her yeah. my aunt. So, that's something I didn't know until, like, last year. And, like, to think, like, there's some people that are alive from the Holocaust, but there's not a lot of people still here today from the Holocaust. Well, that's the thing is that there are a lot of people who were, I guess, around in Europe at that time, but they were really young, you know, three years old, five years old. They don't really remember much. I think what was really special about Sam was that he was 10 or 11. So he remembers it really well. And he was actually, he didn't get captured right away either. He was actually like smuggling food to his fellow uh, Jews in, in Poland. Um, he was, you know stealing things from Nazis. Like he was actually out there trying to fight as a kid and he remembers it really well. And now he's still walking around. You know, the guy is just has some special genes, you know, he he's in shape. And so I think to talk to somebody who actually remembers it really well uh, is also a treat because, you know, they're not going to be around forever. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's really awesome. I mean, I'm yeah. kind of struck right now. Like, yeah. Have a listen. I, I interviewed him maybe in September of last year. So it's, it's been many episodes ago, but you can go to gregcrino.com and, and scroll through my, my episodes and you can find Sam Silverberg. I've got, I think, two, a two-part episode with him. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out once we get finished with this whole thing so I can learn more about it. But um, yeah. since quarantine started back in 2020, how much do you think has, like, how much do you think has changed in terms of like, the Air Force or as a host of a show since the pandemic started? Oh, so what has changed due to the pandemic? Is that kind of what you're asking me? Yeah. Uh, you mean in the Air Force or just 
Risk or just in general, like oh. in, your, in your life or just kind of in general? Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that has changed is, is this. I mean, we're able to do things on Zoom now, whether it's work or, or socializing or podcasting. So I think that's been the, the positive thing is we can meet new people in different ways and actually connect, you know, and have more, um, I, I guess, just have more in different types of relationships with people. So that, that's been a net positive. I also think another positive is that we have options now in terms of work. So uh, my wife, for example, is able to work completely remotely. She can um, do her normal job. Um, her, her office actually closed down here in Los Angeles, the physical office, and they allow her, they're allowing her to work from home, um, which is really helping us out because we're about to have a little boy here coming up and just to be able to work from home is, is great. So that's the positive. Um, you know, the negative part is I think probably what you experienced. And I really feel bad for people your age in this way is that you have to, you can't be in school with your friends and mm -hmm. you're having to wear a mask, even though it's not that dangerous for you to not wear a mask. Like you have to, a lot of people's lives have been canceled for like their graduations and, you know, weddings. And so, you know, really sad things about people dying in the hospital by themselves because they couldn't have visitors. So there's been a lot of drawbacks. Uh, I think though we're working out of it and I think we're learning a lot of lessons about the importance of human connection. Um, and I think that hopefully if we do have something like this, God forbid happen again, we can deal with it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that the next time this happens, it will be the exact same. I mean, it could be something that's even more dangerous. Yeah. Who knows? So we have to be willing to, to make adjustments. So yeah, you know, I try to focus on the positive and I think things like this are, are a positive, you know, meeting people on zoom and doing podcasts. And, and, and so, uh, that's the part that I try to focus on. Yeah, me too. Like COVID has been around for two years and personally, like I thought it would last a couple of weeks. I thought it was going to yeah. be like a big thing. I thought, Oh, this is going to be a couple of weeks. I kind of feel like I needed this break time to relax. So I time with the family, just, this, I can really use this time off. And yeah. plus, like, I do online school, and I started before quarantine, so, like, it wasn't really a big change in terms of school for me, so I was already online. And yeah. so, I was, that's not big of a change. I'm just going to be home more. It's not big of a deal to be home or whatever, be around the family. And now, like, two years later, I'm like, well, I'm kind of getting sick of being home a little bit more, but, like, like in a sense, like, I, 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 a couple months ago, I tested positive for COVID. With my mm. long, my whole family, and personally, like for me, it didn't hit me that hard. And like, once I hear people having to act, have like kids wear masks, I'm thinking myself like, it's not as bad as you think it is. Like, unless yeah. like someone has like a illness they suffer with or something they have, then maybe it'll be more dangerous. But then at the end of the day, like if you really need to wear a mask, then wear it. You know, it's shouldn't be mandatory. But now. In schools, masks are not really mandatory for some schools yeah. in my area and like, or where you live too. And like, it's really different across the country and everything. But like, I just think that it's really different for everyone. Like people, with their, for people's grandparents and all those stuff, then they should really look out for it a little bit more. But then at the end of the day, like around teenagers, they should be a little more conscious that they probably won't get hard, hit hard as they thought they would. Yeah, well, I think also the important thing is that 
uh, maybe another positive thing out of this is that we'll have to, if you are a person who is sick, that it's okay to wear a mask. And if we're out in public and people happen to be wearing masks, maybe they've got a good reason for it. Maybe it's not COVID. It could be something else. It's so like the mask thing is going to kind of, you know, make its way into our culture. It was just kind of like after 9-11, like I know you don't remember 9-11, but yeah. right after that, airport security changed. Yeah. And we, we kind of got used to it. And another thing that was good was that passengers became more involved in security on the airplane. I mean, before 9-11, if somebody got up and rushed into the cockpit and hijacked an airplane, the idea was like, okay, just remain quiet. Don't do anything. They'll, we'll land the airplane. It'll be over and we'll give them some money and that'll be it. Now, if somebody grows up and runs at the cockpit, everybody jumps in, you know, so passengers are like, they know that they have to participate in their own safety. So that was a good yeah. thing to come out of that. And maybe for COVID, a good thing might be okay. If you're sick, you, you stay home, you wear your mask, you, and if you're out and you see somebody wearing a mask, like there might be a good reason for it. Mm -hmm. So it's all about personal choice and protecting ourselves and, and being healthy, you know, exercising, watching what you eat because the people who didn't do so well with COVID tended to have other conditions going on. Um, so, you know, we can, we can make um, positive changes if we uh, just kind of pay attention. Yeah, exactly. Like when, like once kind of 11 hit, like, like, were you currently in the Air Force at that time when, like, 2001 hit and everything with the 9-11? I was, yes. I was actually, uh, I was a fighter pilot and I was living in Arizona and I was, I was about 26 years old when that happened. So I remember it very vividly. Uh, yeah, I was in the Air Force and it was definitely scary. I think we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, you know, that afternoon at the Air Force Base where I was stationed in Tucson, Arizona, they called in everybody and they, everybody had to come into work. There were people who were getting deployed, like sent to the Middle East that night, oh, you know, wow. so you, you can imagine having just going about your business. It's a normal Tuesday. And then that night you're packing your bags and some people were being shipped off. So it happened very quickly. Now yeah. my unit didn't deploy right away. So we all got called into work. And then after a day, we're like, okay, we're not going to be the ones that are, that are going, just sit tight. We'll see what happens. I ended up getting deployed, um, to the middle East a month later. So they, I had to go into the, to the middle East to help set up a base out near, um, out near Saudi Arabia. So I got sent there and, um, I did, I wasn't flying an airplane over there. I wasn't doing any fighter pilot stuff. I was doing more administrative stuff, but they, I got orders to go and they said it could be six months. We're not sure. And we're not sure what you're going to be doing. Um, but here's the base and here, here are your tickets and pack your bags. <laughs> and so I had to go. And when I got there, it was a very, like, not a well-built up base. Like we had three computers for a base of like a couple thousand people oh, wow. we had no we only had one hot meal a day we had like these packaged meals for everything else uh, we had no clean water so we had to drink out of water bottles um, you know sleeping on cots it was like really it was really pretty uh pretty tough oh yeah exactly like I remember from my dad's experience like my I was it happened five years before I was born so I never got to kind of experience the whole thing but I remember my dad went to 
what is it, the Bahamas for work, for a work yeah. trip. I remember he was supposed to come back like that morning or something. Yeah. And, and like, I just remember, like, they literally, like, once all happened, all flights got delayed. Like, they couldn't let all, like, they couldn't let like, flights fly to where they're supposed to go because of, these are scared, like, there's supposed to be more kind of plane hitting places or because it was a terrorist attack. So they don't like, they don't want any, any planes to fly and everything. So it's like, they yeah. were afraid that it's going to happen again. And I just remember my dad telling me that his plane, like, he didn't leave for a couple, like, couple of days because of how backed up it was because of 9-11 all this. Like, you're just afraid that everything was kind of, our country was under attack, which it was. We just didn't want to make it worse by everyone flying and happening again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just one more thing on that. When it first happened, you know, we didn't know the extent of the damage either. So, you know, I remember the day that it happened, um, you know, we obviously now we know that it was four airplanes total that went down. Well, yeah. I remember at the time they said, we think it could be nine or 10 airplanes. We have no idea. So every airplane that was already in the air, every airliner could have potentially been a, a threat. And so, you know, there was that going on. I think in New York, we didn't know that it was you know, 3,000 people, we thought it could be up to 50,000 because those buildings are so huge. Yeah. So yeah, when you're first going through it, things are uh, a lot different, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. And so the final question for the whole thing is, what is some advice for younger generations that would be in the Air Force or as a host of a show one day? Uh, advice for younger people? I, I, you know, I would say just have some, have some patience. You don't have to do everything right now. If you, if you're unsure, that's okay. Uh, that's, you know, I, that, that's my kind of my near term advice is do well in school, do the big things correctly. Don't, you know, don't, don't do the, you know, make sure you're physically keeping yourself out of danger. You know, don't, you know, staying out late at night, you know, avoiding all the drugs and alcohol and things like that. So just do the big things correctly right now. Have some patience about what you want to do. You don't have to figure it out right away. Um, but as you get older, I would say, know what you, or try to figure out what you are afraid of, mm -hmm. figure out your anxieties that you have, and it could be different for everybody, but have a, a deep conversation with yourself, find out what you are uh, afraid of and address those fears, whether it means improving yourself. So if you are afraid to speak publicly, make yourself a better public speaker, you know, get in there and learn. Um, if you are not good uh, at something physically, whatever, whether it's athletics or, or you feel like you're not in good shape, then correct that. So I think figure self-improvement, I would say, make mm -hmm. yourself good at something. Um, and then, you know, doors will open up from there. I think what people uh, incorrectly believe is that success comes from just luck and opportunities that are given to you. Mm -hmm but you become lucky and more successful when you improve yourself first. So start with yourself. That's exactly. what I would say. Yeah, exactly. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on. It means absolutely so much. It's such an honor to speak with you and have you on. And I wish you really the best of luck with everything and we'll definitely see you for sure. Thank you so much for coming on again. Well, thanks Kylie. And I, it's an honor for me to be on. So you're doing a great thing and I wish you continued uh, success as well. Thank you. Thanks so much. And it's such a pleasure. And thanks so much for coming on again. It's a pleasure. All right. Thanks. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, Kylie. Take care. Bye. Thanks. You too.